So, like, take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off, you hosers. Rob the jewelry store and tell them make me a grill. Top diamond in the bottom, rose gold. Yo. We about to start an epidemic with this one. Yeah, I know what this is. Uh, so, so, yeah. Got 30 down at the bottom. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hosers. This is episode 70, 70, Tanner Pearson. Very cool. <laughs> my name's Chris Killingsworth. Joining me, as always, is my co host, Thomas Williams. Thomas, what's going on, man? Or T Dog? Uh, are we calling so, you that Oh my now? god, no, bro. <laughs> uh, as I'm getting used to this role, I say, how's it going, Chris? And to that I say, honestly, not too bad. Okay. I was, uh, yeah. did I tell you like I'm a bit of a grill master now? Like barbecue or like, yeah. Uh, okay. What other cut, or like Paul Wall? Like, yeah, is like, what do, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah, yeah I no. showed up. It is Nothing bad. like that. That's um, not a thing. No, and joining, and joining us today to talk about grills and everything going on uh, <laughs> with grills is uh, Arun Surivasan. How are you, Arun? Yo, Thomas, what's going on, man? Grills, what a great song. Like, just like, like <laughs> that in a while. I feel like I'm just going to go into the Paul Wall like, catalog after this. Yeah, I'm going to roll yeah. up to the Oscar Center. and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. You're definitely not going to do that. <laughs> Um, Paul Wall, I feel like was really, really big when I, I would have been in grade like 11 or 12. So like 2006, 2007, everybody loved Paul Wall. And I don't know if what, like what he's up to or how he's doing, but I mean, that's the first time I was ever introduced to, uh, screwed and chopped music. So, I mean, I got some love for Paul Wall. Thomas, (laughs) sorry, go ahead, Arun. Sorry, Paul Wall's doing great. He lost like a ton of weight. He's like, he's like, looking greedy. I think he started his own business. Like, he's like, he's done quite well for himself out of like the height of his rap thing. I'm quite happy for him. There you go. That's awesome. And I know Thomas has never listened to a Paul Wall song. No, yeah, I have. No, probably not. Uh, I don't know. He's still releasing music though. Yeah, they he had a song like over a decade ago called "They Don't Know." Do you know the song, Arun? Of course, great song, man. And you were saying like 2006, 2007. I was also in grade 11, 12 around that time. So exactly, like I'm of that era. Very much, very much fan. Very I love it. Charles Swisher House, shout out to him, Mike Jones, all of them. See, I was in the grade five, so. <laughs> okay, yeah. Arun and I, the the seniors on the podcast. Was that, but... was that like 50 Cent era? Like Get Rich or Die Trying? Was that to like 2009? No. It was afterwards, but I mean. Yeah. Afterwards, but of the same generation, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I would say that too. was my guy during then when I verged into that a little bit. I like it. I, I like it. Standard. This is very standard. You know, it's gone off on a bit of a weird tangent, but I'm I'm feeling it. Arun, how are things going with you, man? Like, what's been the 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 COVID nineteen lockdown situation for you, and and how have you been staying busy? Uh, man, I've been like busy at work, uh, but I mean, I say busy at work, but you know, post, post up on my couch, watching a ton of hockey, um, and basketball, my PBR team and workout. Uh, yesterday I was watching the Bayern Munich Barcelona game while watching the Colorado Avalanche at the same time. And I also had my audio on the Habs game. 
at a certain point. So just trying to juggle a bunch of sports at once, man, and enjoying it. Um, it hockey is better without the Maple Leafs in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we share we share that sentiment. <laughs> I'm, I'm a man. I'm enjoy, I'm enjoying life without the Maple Leafs in a lot of ways. Like. Uh, it, it, it's easier, I think, at a certain point because you, I can sort of just have emotional transfer to other teams. Like, hey, I'm yeah. so happy, I'm so happy for Nazem Kadri that he's having such a monster year with the Avalanche and he's having like a you know, that, that that line with Landeshog, um, like really loving a lot. Um, um, and in Valerie Nuskushin, like, oh my god, like this guy, like like I totally forgot about him prior to this year, and he just showed up out of nowhere, and it, that line is a really good fun line. Um, yeah, man, just enjoy the NHL playoffs quite a bit without the Maple Leafs in them. The Maple Leafs stress me out, and I have lots to say about them. <laughs> I love it. It's funny you say that because I, prior to, like, you know, prepping and whatever for this podcast, I was listening to a product of Yahoo Sports, uh, Justin and Mike's podcast, and uh, they were live, laugh, Leafs, for the record. Uh, for those of you who don't know, yeah. check it out. Um, but... Yeah, the same sentiment was shared on their podcast too, where it was like, you know, you have this opportunity to enjoy hockey in kind of a different way because you're not so like laser focused on the Leafs. Was there a particular storyline coming out of this that you, you know, had some good or bad feelings about at the very least something, you know, exciting that you could, you could talk about for the next few months before things kick off again? In terms of Maple Leafs or just quite yeah. Yeah, okay, with the so, Leafs. So here's my take on, on the Leafs, I suppose. Like in, in the land of millions of takes, it's just like the talks about the Maple Leafs are going to be quite static, I think, because we sort of know what the roster composition is. Like they have a top-heavy roster in which Dubas thought, okay, great, you know, I can invest in this sort of offense based around my core four forwards. It's going to work. It's worked at the OHL level to a certain degree. Um, and, you know, I, I believe in his philosophy. I think he – I think also, you know, you you sort of have these two moments in which at least get eliminated by the Blue Jackets. Okay, you get your fury, your takes, your sadness, or whatever, and then you sort of wait for the end of your press conference. And the end of your press conference comes out, and Dubas defends like almost unilaterally and very aggressively defends um, his decision to build this sort of top heavy roster. Sort of that question around Cody Cece. He, he sort of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I read it as like we have proprietary internal metrics that. <laughs> make him seem like he is a better player than what the rest of you guys are seeing. So my take from this, I think the most interesting take is that Kyle Dubas finally has to face some criticism. I think and the way he was positioned as the golden boy of the Leafs, because he was like ahead of the curve on analytics, correct me if I'm wrong, there mm-hmm. I'm just sort of the idea that it was a very this kind of this easy palatable narrative. Like we have this guy from Super Greyhounds, he set records, you know, in the Ontario Hockey League in terms of, you know, being young and, and and sort of just um, just sort of thinking there, and they, they created this great prospect pipeline, and he comes in, and there's sort of this easy narrative again where he sort of um, takes over in transition with Len Morello, um, and, and not to say that he, I would prefer Len Morello, not at all, but he had, he's benefited from some of Len Morello's moves, like, uh, to, to a degree. Yeah. So... I mean, I mean, in terms of just like drafting like Austin Matthews and whatever, like there's some moves. That just, and like the contracts too, Lamarello is really good at that. Yeah. I'm like, like subjectively, like, I guess I'm not the biggest Lamarello fan, but like objectively, the Riley contract has been like a godsend. If he was coming out of his RFA during like that time with those stats now, it'd be a whole different story. Right. So uh, I, I'm totally with you there. So I think, I think just the idea that, 
Cal Dubas has this kind of, sort of inflated sense in the hockey world a little bit. You know, he's a young guy. He speaks really well and eloquently um, and sort of understands the modern realities of what NHL teams should look like operationally in terms of, like, what the optics of the team looks like, like, whether they get involved in, you know, certain causes. I don't think the rest of the players have met up to it, but him individually has – like Kyle Dubas stands up for a lot of good things outside of hockey too. I don't know where scoring is to fall suit, but he does. I, I, I would, I will give him a, I will give him a positive grade for sure. But I think, sorry, more to my point is just like, because perhaps because of the market size or because perhaps because it was just this easy idea that Kyle Dubas is going to lead the Leafs into the future. He's talked about like he's Julian Breezebois or Joe Sackick or, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, take your pick of who you find among the best executives in the league. But he's, he spoke about, or at least he's, holds this place of importance that is uh, reserved for like, the very best, you know, executives in hockey, and he hasn't earned it. So I think, you know, he, he's done some good things. He's The Nazem Kadri trade didn't work out the way it we expected it to, I think, to a certain degree, or maybe we did, I don't know. But um, I think that is the most interesting storyline to me because the rest of the hypothetical trades about who the Leafs should trade, I have no interest in it. And frankly, knowing how this market works and how it operates, we're just going to hear like a million trade hypotheticals. Like I, I sort of like talked to Thomas about this a little bit, just like, mm-hmm. I don't want every day to do sound like, Oh, well, time to trade William Nylander for X player. <laughs> right. And, and I think a lot of the, like, okay, all of these, like all these hypotheticals are surrounded by, okay, we're going to trade either Mitch Marner or William Nylander for X defenseman. But there's an overvaluation of what type of defenseman you're going to get. Like some of my friends are asking me in a group chat, like, who are you going to get? I'm like, cool. Congratulations on getting Adam Pellick. Like, you're not going <laughs> to, yeah. you're, you're not, you're yeah. not going to get, you're not going to get like Jacob Slavin. You're not going to get like, you know, you're not going to get Alex Petrangelo. You're not going to get these, these these brand name guys. Like everyone's like, oh well, you know, Carolina has like a surplus of defensemen. They're not going to trade Brett Pessy. Like they know what they're getting. Yeah. Like, you know, like they, they know they they've done a good job of building like a surplus of defensemen who are by and large. Um, have more inherent value than just any position in the league just because it's so hard to find them, right? So, yeah, I, so I, I just, agree. And I think smart organizations value that. Like, who's my biggest target right from the Leafs? It's probably Vince Dunn because there's someone from the Athletic. I have to give him credit um, for it. Or so I saw somewhere in my timeline where it's just like the Blues don't really like him all too much. Like, they don't play him that much. That's they, wild. Right? Like, he's like a set, he's like their seventh defenseman. And yet he's so good. So I don't know, but like, but it might also be like one of those cases, like a Colin Miller syndrome, where it's like he's buried on a deep team. He has really right. good metrics, oh, that, and like, that. and then w- when he is promoted, he just like goes invisible. And, Almost had like Dermot a couple of years ago, and then like a bunch. That's such the case for a lot of players. But I'm just being devil's advocate because like, oh, you, and, and I and fall you, in love with players like that. And as, and as you should be, like, I am, like, sort of, like, becoming the reluctant leader of the Sam Gerard fan club. Like, I'm, like, sort of in that yeah, <laughs> uh, 100%. But I just think, like, that sort of is, like, where my, like, like my 1A, 1B take is. Like, do deserve some criticism. And, God, I am just not in not uh, looking forward to this offseason of just, like, the land of redundant takes. Because we know what the problems are. We have a top, the top heavy forward group. There are a lot of defensive holes. And because they're sort of cap strung, there's really no remedy to fix it, especially without a first round pick in what is widely expected, correct me if I'm wrong here, to be a pretty deep draft. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> yeah, you, you hit on a, a, a bunch of really good stuff there. And I know for myself and, and Thomas and I had, you know, 
many conversations about it after everything was said and done. But I think, you know, and, and, and I'll be honest, I felt this way too in the moment because it was very emotional this year. I don't know why, but it, it stung a little bit more than it's maybe stung in previous years. And I mean, when, when they lost, like I was out for blood, I was like, what is Mark Hunter's yeah. phone number? Will he be the G, you know, you know, like, I mean, not that crazy, obviously, well, I but, get it. I get it. but I, but I, I wanted to see some accountability. Right. And, and I will say, and I said it on the previous episode that for Mitch Marner to come out and say, what he did and talk about being disengaged and there, you know, being a little bit of accountability that way. Like I loved that. And um, I know after their press availability, I wanted to hear a few times um, where Dubas would speak and see if the messaging was consistent from TSN to Sportsnet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it felt like it was, and there was a lot of, a lot of conversation about how people think that he's, kind of one dynamic and, and he can only do things one certain way and people will be mad at him if he does things, you know, a little bit differently. And I know for myself, you know, he's made moves even within the last 12 months that would indicate to me at least that he is, he's growing, he's listening, he's, he's developing as a GM. Uh, and I really needed Thomas to say like, buddy, like, it hasn't been that long. Like Sheldon Keefe has been the coach for less than a year, like relax. And I, you know, put my phone down and signed out of Twitter and <laughs> felt a little bit better immediately. Right. But I'm curious, like working and, and covering the Leafs, do you try and remain as objective as you can uh, in that respect? Or is it easy to, to get emotional about how the city's feeling right now? Uh, I mean, look, that's a really good question. I think it's a dynamic question that I, that I like to answer. I think, um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I have to be objective to a certain degree about the NHL to cover it as any, as any of the sports have covered it in the past. But I think also, I don't believe necessarily in this old school journalism idea that you have to deflect like what you're rooting, like what you're rooting based on. I think as long as you are honest about the teams like you dislike when they do some, some like you know good things like you know I, like before the stanley cup last year i wrote this preview about the bruins and how they're going to be sustainable for a long time and like in the heart of hearts do i want the bruins to do well i do not and i can i think <laughs> I, can, I can i can admit that but i think also you have to give i think as long as you're honest about you know you you give the teams that you dislike the credit when they deserve it like the habs for example like full credit to jeff petrie and venture like i think they played really well especially in the you know in that, that qualifier you know what I mean? So I think as long as you have that in it, um, you're you're fine. I mean, and, and in terms of the Leafs, like, well, the should be more critical or less critical. It's more visceral. Like, you know what I mean? There's an emotional attachment to the the quality of your arguments a little bit. But I don't know how much that like sort of like colors bias or anything like that. I think you know, you have a team that has like a million voices too. So you can almost, in a sense. Um, I mean, if your take is outlandish, you'll get told quite quickly, right, in the Toronto market. There's so many of these players. There's so many people who are um, have a range of emotions about the team on the best of days. And right now, the current tenor is, like, anger and frustration and uh, confusion. And I think that, and that is going to um, sort of shape how Leafs Twitter or how hockey media, like, um, sort of frame itself. But in terms of, in terms of like, oh, my own responsibility – a wise man told me, uh, someone who's done quite well for themselves in sports media, told me that both things can be true. 
So for the Leafs, for example, they're my boyhood club. Like, I don't think it does, I don't think it does any of my audience. And I say my audience is like, you know, I'm some big shot. No, but like, you know, but whatever. Like, I don't think my audience or people who read me or anyone, it would be a disservice to them if I was like, oh no, like I don't, what are you talking about? I don't want the Maple Leafs to do well. Like, I, you know, like what, what benefit does it serve? I'm lying about that, right? So I think if I admit that, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's an, I mean, it's a dynamic. I think, you know, you can be critical of the team, and also the thing is too is like I'm quite critical of the Maple Leafs when they need to be. Like I don't think, like I'm not very much of the criticism of like oh like making it personal about the players or like you know everyone must go, but like you can say like Freddie Anderson is someone who I've long defended is not like, doing all that well, or like Tyson Berry has performed well below expectations. Like you can say things that are fair, I think, about players and be critical about players. Um, you know, I don't think anyone, I don't think fandom necessarily makes it easier, makes it like, uh, it gives you an impetus to be like more difficult or easier on a player, especially if you cover the sport. You're like, you know, there's emotions while you watch the game, but I think when the game ends, it's like, okay, what do I have to think about? Like, what does my take have to be? Like, what do I have to write about? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and sure. I grant you, like, I'm not primarily responsible for covering the Maple Leafs, per se, I think, like, my. I have to like sort of edit uh, columns more on that side and just have more of a general angel purview anyway. So like, if I were to like write something like, oh, the Maple Leafs are the most interesting in the NHL, like, they're just not. And I don't honestly, um, them losing to Columbus actually makes them less interesting objectively, I think. Because- Yeah, that's cause, true. Because to my earlier point, there's not a whole lot of dynamism in the argument about the Maple Leafs. So I don't know if that necessarily answers your question. I mean, I want the Leafs to do well. I don't think, again, like I am very much to new media grads, whoever's breaking into the industry, don't buy into this convention that you can't root for your team and also cover sports and make it in media. That's bullshit. So. Yeah, I think anyone that's like smart enough to really quote unquote make it even to an extent is like has the wherewithal to back it up and like provide, like think of it in context to the whole thing. Like any like direct feeling towards the Leafs like oh you got to trade Marner now like okay what is that feeling like what where's that coming from like you you know there has to be a change and is it like this narrative of oh the like young kids don't try hard enough or whatever just because you're seeing like them on IG or whatever but like it's just like all this weird takes like you're saying of like Toronto media just or Toronto just in general this fan base having the most like heated and not really like short, like short memory to really everything um, to really have, like they're just like instantly takes of whatever. And I think it'll just take some time. Like it's, it's disappointing that it's a, their fourth first round series loss or not, or didn't even make the playoffs this year technically, (laughs) but like uh, it's, it's just like, it's just whatever now. Like, there's tons of teams that go through it. And I understand, like, I know someone brought this up earlier, and I think it was Myrtle, whatever. Um, but it was like, what if, like, the Caps, like, kind of went through the same thing of not being able to get past Pittsburgh? And then, like, that was their, like, demon. And then, like, they eventually did. and Or, like, oh, they didn't even make a conference finals, and, like, and then lose the finals. They made it and won the cup, like, it's just kind of get like that weird sense of, okay, this needs a little bit of patience. And even though they haven't won around, like, especially the way that the NHL set up and how these teams are so, and how hockey is just a sport in general, this doesn't really mean a whole lot 
considering of how they've got eliminated in the last two years. They've been, maybe not this year, just because you could chalk it up to being having this like historic goalie uh, performance and then Columbus being basically the worst team that they could have faced because of their defense. Or last year, they were honestly the better team in seven games against the Bruins. So like you could have say that with context of everything of trying to understand where this team is and where they're hopefully going. But it's also just interesting that like things could happen. Like next year they could just make the conference finals out of nowhere if they face the right teams and have the right path and nothing could change there. They could sign a depth defenseman or maybe they already did and letting in and like just whatever, then just go for it with the style of hockey that they have and play Tampa out of their ass and then like whatever. And then they're done. So it's just like, it's just weird, like a fandom thing. I mean, it's just un- unfortunate of how things have gone. But I think it's just like the general rule is just patience right now. Just like, I don't think there's going to make any big moves except like a minor trade. They're going to sign a dude, whatever. Maybe Joe Thornton like has been talked about, which will be interesting. And then like, just, it'll be all just chill. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Thomas, I think there's a lot of stuff like I agree with you quite quickly. I just wanted to... To, to overspeak there, but um, sure, what was I gonna say? I lost my train of thought briefly. Um, no, like uh, I, again, like there's, there's uh, not just on like a, like a super math guy because I'm not like you know honestly like the strength of my like hockey coverage is from like narrative driven pieces. So I'll be honest there, but there's lots of random variation that comes in hockey, and especially when you get to game seven, it really is a toss up. Like you know, like I know that much about math to be like there's nothing predicted <laughs> in game seven. You know, yeah. yeah. So. And I think this is prevailing narrative. Like I'm hearing like like shitty takes. Like the Leafs need more grit, you know, or you know, like they like they didn't lose because they got out hit by Boston. That's a bullshit narrative. But it's just like, or like you know, the Leafs like you know, like when your best players don't play well in Game Sevens, like it, it, it you know, it leads to frustration, especially against a team that has been, you know, arguably the best team in the last five years, right? Like you know, you lose to the Bruins twice. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of like, individual variables and people want this like wide sweeping change. And it's just like, look, if you look at like the way they lost like each of those like games against Boston, right? It's just like, well, there's like a lot of like different factors. Like, you know, Mitch Marner was like not missing in some, in some of them. Like, like they got all played. Or sorry, if you want to have like a more like just a neutral like hog day, like Boston's line, like their super line, which is the best line in hockey, like showed up and did their thing. Like, what do you want to say? Like, at a certain point, like the Leafs, yes, they have a high. End. I think the thing is, there's no tidy narrative. But if you want one, it's just Boston's top end talent beat the Leafs' top end talent in like a game seven. So there's like not a whole lot of predictive value, and yet you want people to like make speculations or make you know corrections on the game that is you know on one game samples essentially. And I think that could be tough too. So I think I think there's a lot of the like, nuance that has to go into a lot of these takes where it's like. Yes, Dubas deserves criticism. Is this Leafs team as bad as they're made out to be? N- no, probably not. Is it? Do they deserve to be laughed at and like sort of like you know not humiliated, but um, you know sort of pointed up and not making past the first round? Yes, absolutely. You know, should should the Leafs fan base be a little bit paranoid? Absolutely, because of John Tavares signing. And I'm not criticizing it one bit, but I need to contextualize it in that it accelerated the Leafs contention window to like a five year span. And now we're like a year, we're going to enter year three of that. So after that, you know, it's going to be a tricky proposition for, for this current iteration of the Leafs. I think there's like a three-year window for them to win the cup right now. And so I think that's what happens. You have the weight of expectations of the core growing, right? We've had four consecutive years. 
the first year was like a bonus round, like lose, like taking the caps of six games. That was borrowed time. And that was the most fun of that was the most fun league season ever for me. Um, so, but these latter three years, it comes with the increasing weight of expectations. If that makes sense. And like, what did, and I was just thinking like in my head, like, Oh, what's a similar, well, like also to the point, sorry, I'm like jumping around, but like to the point that it's just like, expectations of when they failed against the Bruins. Like Dubas made that decision, not that summer, but he decided he moved on from Babcock, which was the main concern at that, in that Bruins series. And then he already like he on paper did the trades that would have made sense. Like anyone would have kind of made that cadre deal. I think like, it's just, I was probably the bet, like the, a bigger defender of that deal just because I didn't see, it makes sense paying that much for a third line center, even though I love Kadri um, and like having him down the depth chart and not playing it a lot, then try to get his value while he's still under that contract and so on and so on. And then you, Oh, you get his replacement and then you also get a defenseman for a year. That's a pretty good on paper deal. Um, but then like, it's just like this whole thing of, they kind of did try to do something but like, and then I was thinking, what did the Lightning do after getting like swept by Columbus? Like, it didn't go the Max Series games. It like they got swept. And then I, I was trying to remember what they did. And then they did they. So last summer they did the JT Miller trade, basically just traded him away for picks and and a gold and Mazanic, just picks. They signed Luke Shen. They signed Scott Wedgwood. Like it's just nothing. Like they didn't make any really big deals. They traded away Callahan to the, like, it's just, they didn't really do a lot that summer. So it's just like, it's kind of just yeah, perspective. But it's, I, I know, I know like the makeup could be different, but it's like the same result. Sure. So who knows? Like, and with well, Keith under, like what was the record uh, under Keith? It was like 25, 17 and five or something or two. I know it was like 25 games one. I don't, I don't yeah. know what it is. It was but, like 25. It was like a 600% like uh, winning percentage, like or points percentage or something like that. Like that's yeah. pretty damn good for like a rookie coach. And then over a full season with everything, like, and if they make minor adjustments for like depth defensemen and like, it's, I don't know. So I, I mean, they didn't make those moves. And like, listen, this isn't the hill I'm going to die on, obviously, but they did. Well, I might die on it. We'll see. Um, Just so you guys know, the dog um, is obsessed with ice cubes and he thinks that I'm like hiding them from him in my drink. So if you hear him get a little angry at me, that's what that's about. Um, But the difference with Tampa Bay was that although Tampa didn't make those moves in the offseason, they did acquire you know, grit or guys that play a little bit heavier on the puck and Barkley Goodrow uh, and, uh, and Blake Coleman. So they obviously thought that they needed to tinker enough by adding a dynamic that they didn't have in their lineup. Um, I'm, I'm curious, do you guys think, and, and I'm sorry, Arun ahead of time, because I know it's probably not your, your favorite topic right now, but did the Leafs have a JT Miller esque trade up their sleeve that you could see materializing simply because of the cap restrictions they're going to have moving into next season? Good question. Uh, I don't necessarily see it working out as well as like, you know, I mean, obviously Tampa, I guess not as well as JT Miller, but like 
don't know, maybe like, you know, because Barry Kapanen and Andreas Janssen, I guess, but that's all speculative. But like, again, it just gets back to the whole, like, are you trading players because you're trading them because you feel they have no more inherent value to your roster or are you trading them because it's a cap recommendation? Right. You know? yeah. so, uh, you know, or both. Potentially or both. both. Or yeah. both. And again, so, I mean, I know that's a boring answer, but I struggle with that. Like, I often think, like, we could package, you know, Kapanen and Janssen together. That clears up, what, $6.5 million in space a little bit. But, like, again, it's for the cap nations. I don't know if that really makes your roster better. Like, you can argue, like, okay, cool. Like, clears a spot for Nick Robinson, I guess. But, I don't like, I don't know. Like, like, like what, what type of return do you get back from that? I'm honestly stumped. Like, I honestly don't know what the return would be for that. Yeah, and, like, if, they're, if the Leafs are trying to do this identity of, like, a super offense team, then, like, then why are you trading away more offensive players? Like, Janssen, I might understand just because, like, he's kind of underperformed this season. But then also, what are you going to get for him that are, is really going to make the difference? Like, are you just trading him away for a second-round pick on draft day? And then, like, you just hope to God that he turned that, – that player turns out to a Nick Robertson while Robertson plays your – already your uh, – actually in the lineup to replacing Janssen. But, like – it's just whatever you get back for it. And it kind of seems like these trades are just for the sake of making any transaction that they can. Like, I think within the system right now, the Leafs have, like, a decent team. And obviously, like, I don't know anything really because I'm not around the team or not right. within the organization. But it's like, it just seems on paper that, like, even with the blue line, like, all you need is kind of just one decent top four defenseman addition. Like, and it's so, I know that's like literally basically saying that, Oh, you, all you need to do is like win a bunch of playoff rounds to whatever, be a good team. But it's like, it's all they need is that kind of decent player to like add to Riley Muzzin and then maybe Dermot can step up or someone else can, or one of their many prospects or free agent European signings turns out to be something, but like, it's just, I don't know. It's just like I kind of verge on the more just like let it see where it goes. Like they could end up playing like Buffalo in the first round next year and be like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's patience. Um, and I don't think, you know, the totality of Leaf fans have patience to see those things through, right? Like should Travis Dermott be playing in the three or four spot right now? Probably not. I think he's probably better as a five, six guy with some special teams. But the fact of the matter is like they've had to play him because they were so thin there. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to go back to an earlier point about being able to enjoy, um, you know, the Maple Leafs being out because it gives you a little bit more time to focus on other teams. And I can think of a handful of guys right now who several years ago when those teams were underperforming, it was, oh, well, when are they going to trade Gabe Landeskog to the Boston Bruins? Do you guys remember that a few years oh, ago? Yeah. Oh. Right? Like, there's these narratives that, you know, they, they a lot of times, I believe, are created out of the fan base being impatient, not wanting to see things through the way that they should. Um, has there been a team that's really um, exceeded your expectations this time around, Arun? Um, yeah, there have been, been a few teams. I mean, look, okay, from the outset, I, I think Colorado beat the curve by like a year. You know, like I didn't expect to kill McCarr and 
Sam Girard and like all these young kids and, and especially that you know for them also to add you know Don Spoy and Kadri and Nikushkin and for all those guys to hit based on expected return like you know so yeah they're so for in that sense yeah I mean in terms of just like after the four month break I mean Montreal has been uh, surprising like you know like I didn't expect Jeff Petrie to be so solid and good all the time but he is um, and that's really made a difference like Thomas Tatar stepped up big and like Montreal like, was a great last night I mean will that hold up over the course of a series I don't think so but you know credit where credit's due this one might be a little controversial because like Thomas I share the opinion where I don't enjoy watching New York Islanders play hockey at all um, <laughs> they're, they're you know I like to think of things like Zach Lowe of ESPN once created like the league pass rankings and like that's something I try to incorporate at Yahoo. We did something sort of like that and sort of just like who do you like who do you guys like enjoy watching, right? Like you know, mm-hmm. you, you watch the if you cover the NHL or you you know, you have an NHL fan, you know, like what are the teams you like watching? What are the games you, you're gonna watch on uh, whatever the hell the NHL League Pass is called? I don't know, I, at this point it just- <laughs> it changes a name like every year. Right. I think it's still but- called Center Ice it- on or so- NHL NHL T V. So, so yeah, like I really like I really like that concept that like you know the basketball writers sort of incorporated like you know who would you watch on like, yeah. like what yeah and I remember Dim- Dimitri did like watchability rankings on his yeah I, I like love, it was like kind of that but it was yeah like I love stuff like that and I think the Islanders Thomas would be in like our bottom three um, but they've been surprising in terms of the result like I think Bovillier has been good and as consistent as he needs to be to sort of give the Islanders a little like higher count of than they actually have if that makes sense. Um, I know I sort of jokingly brought Adam Pellick as a trade candidate, <laughs> but he's been really good, man. I mean, he has. Yeah. So, I mean, but so I guess the Islanders, just because like, I guess I conflated boring with like not good and they've been better than expected. So those would be my two. And like Barzal is like honestly just a treat. Like I would yeah, rather yeah, yeah. watch, I think Barzal, like if it was just a camera focus on one player, he'd probably be in my top five to just like watch night in, night out, just like watch whatever, every shift. Of just him, I think, yeah, it's so great. But yeah, like, yeah, you know, honorable mention for sure, yeah. And like another, I guess another really boring team that's make it made it kind of interesting has been the Stars. I've hated how they played with everything. I still don't but, feel that way with the Stars. What you like them? No, what? no, no, no. I think they're 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 not not enjoyable at all. I like so. Yeah, that's what I mean. No, no, no. What I'm what I'm saying is is that. Let, let me flesh this out a little bit. Okay. The sure. Islanders, just to kind of go back to that for a second, and then I'll get to the stars. Um, my appreciation and love for them is I think over the last couple of years, I've really had to define the type of hockey that I like watching, whether that is when I'm in a rink watching a team play or what I, whether I'm, you know, sitting on the couch watching it or you know on my iphone in bed or whatever that looks like and i think i've come around on the islanders and and teams like columbus for example because although their game is much more structured and some of that's not as high flying and and you know some people perceive it you know as boring or not as entertaining and that's you know that's totally cool i enjoy watching that sometimes as opposed to a team like dallas who will try and fly their guys up either side of the ice and then, you know, turn the puck over in the neutral zone for the other team to go the other way, you know, on a two on one or, or, or whatever that looks like. So um, there's parts of Dallas. I like, I think Essa Lindell is, you know, one of the most underrated defensemen in the league, probably not for too much longer, 
Um, but <clears throat> by and large, you know, their offensive weapons, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, Radulov, haven't really done it for me this year. I'm with you on all that, just but Miro Heiskin is just so yeah. good. I was oh, going yeah. to mention Heiskanen. Like, I, yeah, that's a. I was. That's such a good poser move to me not to mention Heiskanen. Yeah. That's my bad. I'll even that. watch the stars, bro. No, do you even? Not, <laughs> it's not a poser move at all because I actually largely agree with. All, like, I agree with all of that, especially with the stars forwards. But like on a nightly basis, like you, to Thomas' point about like Barzell, like Heiskanen might be in my top five. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I think you know. Obviously, he's he's a bright spot um on their team but yeah there's there's just things ab- about them that that kind of drive me a little crazy and i know um you know with calgary they've been a team that i you know very early on in this process had kind of dumped on um but progressively over time i'm thinking we're we're in like a time machine because we're seeing you know milan lucic you know, go all the way back to 2011 and, and, and play the way that he's played. Um, they've been a team that, you know, I'm kind of pulling for in that series. I can't figure them out. Like, <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they are. They're just like a tough team to figure out. Like, frankly, I thought, I thought they were going to lose to the Jets. I, I thought like Hellebuck would have like stole that series to the Jets. It didn't work out that way. Fine. No. I mean, they underperformed like pretty badly this year. And yet yeah. – and yet yeah. they have like, enough like talent, base talent, to think that like, they can be fine. So I I don't know. The Flames are a frustrating team for me. I can't figure them out. Not to say that I'm not like enjoying what they're doing, but I don't really have any strong taste in them because I they're a difficult team for me. Yeah, no, I get that. I think with Calgary, the the depth has been interesting, and I mean we we dumped all over their depth all year, and I don't know. It's come to bite us in the ass the last few weeks, but um, but yeah, no, it's. It's it's exciting. I think that it's just good to see. You know what? Sometimes it's just good to be wrong on things. And we talked about it on the last episode. Like sometimes you just need to be fed a slice of humble pie and be like, okay, my take was wrong. You know, you got to own it. You got to take it on the chin. Is there a team right now that you think could, like you, you may feel strongly about them now, but you could see them, betraying all of your trust in future rounds uh yeah the avalanche i would say okay the reason why i say that is like okay like i don't know i'm not like convinced that like grubauer and frank Cooser are like these like high-end goaltenders that can get it done like i don't know and, and yeah. on top of that like they're two one in the series now like it's like a fairly young team that arrived ahead of schedule in Arizona, like, you know, they have enough speed, I would say. Like, they're not necessarily a fun team to watch, per se, but they play with enough pace that they can make things difficult against Colorado. Like, I, like, watched the first – like, I watched part of that game, too. Like, I watched all the games last yesterday, and, like, Colorado came out. They were like, kicking their ass, and then Arizona was just like, you know what? We're going to we, – we're not worried about, like, your pace. We'll go end-to-end with you guys. We'll counterattack against you guys. Like, we'll open up our game a little bit. So they might make things difficult in this series, and therefore I wonder like how the Avalanche are going to do against teams that are like a little more structured, and teams that have a little more, more pace too. So, mm-hmm. uh, as, as much optimism I have, I can also see it all falling apart as well. Well, yeah, it's gone like game by game. Like they completely dominated the first game, and then like Arizona made—I know this is very cliche—but made a game of it in game two, and then they won game three. So it's like no one's knows really what's going to happen in game four, but it's like 
Arizona has kind of shown up a little bit and they haven't been this like walking mat that everyone kind of expected them to be, especially after kind of being okay against Nashville in the series that like not yeah, interesting, but like, man, yeah, it's just, it's just been, it's been interesting. Arizona's kind of a weird team. Like they're just a mishmash of kind of styles. Like they have some players that are really like go for it, like a Keller. And then they have like Kessel and Hall is just kind of there. And like, and then Brad Richardson and then Ekman Larson's there, but still like, man, it's just, yeah. Nicholas Palmerson has been like really good. Yeah. And then, and then like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, uh, like, you're totally right. Like, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, like, if I read their chart correctly, Nathan McKinnon had zero high danger chances in game three. Like, so that's pretty impressive, yeah. I would say, considering he is, like, a walking, like, you know. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, he finds ways to to make space when I, I don't think a lot of people would find it in the same way. I, I mean, he's got a, a big body, you know, in front of the net and, and you know, Usually he doesn't miss that close if, if he gets an opportunity. And I think too with Arizona, you know, for the first time in what feels like a long time, you know, they're getting above average goaltending out of Darcy Kemper. And I think that that's that's been exciting to watch as well because you know they've had a rotating cast of goaltenders and probably haven't had, you know, this is revisionist history a little bit, but you haven't had a solid goaltender like that since probably you know, Mike Smith, you know, all those years ago. Um, is that fair? All those years? No, no, that is fair. I'm just uh, – I think I think Thomas and I might be both laughing at the same thing all those years ago because time is, time is fake. <laughs> wow. No, no, no. Not to say that you're wrong. It's just like, wow, this stuck up on me, you know? Holy shit. Yeah. Well, I, for, I, I forgot Mike Smith, honestly, as a coyote. He's just always – Yeah. Been it, it has been some years. Yeah, for real. Well, <laughs> yeah, I just – Then I remember you know, I always think like it, shitting on him. I think at the time that they went to the conference finals and, you know, like Mikel Bodker, he was on the team and, you know, like it's like been every, a long time. Every intermission was like a highlight of him handling the puck on Sportsnet. Like, yeah, like, Oh, look enough. at this goal. He, uh, he added in the behind this crease. And I, I just think that it's, it's exciting to see them kind of stack up that way. Right. Cause you know, they got Ranta and myself included was like that's it their problems are fixed you know they finally got a competent goaltender and you know that experience i mean given he's had a a lot of injuries over the last several seasons you know that definitely layers into it but uh yeah mike smith uh he was the goal you would have been like nine or ten i guess it would have been thomas when he was the goalie dude i don't i don't remember (laughs) <laughs> yeah, wasn't that long ago, but yeah, uh, I get where I get where you're coming from. I don't know. I was like still in diapers, probably. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I love it. Okay, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, Speaking Thomas, of, uh, oh, I'm yeah, go to ahead. I, I'm, I'm trying to, to get you to segue because you're struggling right now, I'm trying to like help you along. Uh, Speaking of. <laughs> You're not going to find it, buddy. I don't think okay, so. Okay. Uh, speaking of Mike Smith, uh, Arun, you wrote a really important article, I think, um, about a couple weeks ago of just like this constant praise that a lot of that we've seen, a lot of just like very performative actions we've seen around Black Lives Matter in sports. Um, and obviously, you focus on the NHL specifically. 
um, kind of as one of the only, not one of the only writers to really mention it, but one that has been kind of, I think I've been at the forefront of writing these kind of hard pieces of criticism. Um, how is like, generally just like what's kind of, it's really like, weird to say but what kind of like moves you into like writing about this kind of stuff and how do you like uh, yeah, all right well i mean like well i think i appreciate you um you giving me form here um well first of all i mean it's really kind of you to say that you know i've been one of the first ones to do it but uh i listen, i don't believe in false humility at all but i think in this topic i have to get you know give deference to people who've done it for longer than me and do it really well just being a shop black girl hockey club yeah Maltifari, um rock mcgillis um, I'm forgetting so many people um, in, in hockey media who do a lot of good and important work, and uh, you know, Shereen Ahmed's just outstanding. Yeah, and she does. Um, so yeah, there, there are a lot of people in hockey media who I think have been, been doing well and longer than I have. I have to give them their props. But what inspired me? I mean, I don't know. I mean, hockey's my favorite sport, but I'm fucking test the culture, man. Like, sorry for. I don't know. I don't know what the profanity count is here. My guy. My guy. Sorry. Oh, oh we're so explosive. Yeah, okay. you're good, cool, buddy. Cool, cool. <laughs> don't worry about it. Cool. I don't know, man. I'm just like, fucking sick and tired of like like hockey culture. And it's a hard thing where it's just like hockey's my favorite sport, and yet like I detest everything like about it outside of like the on edge product. So I think that's part of it, and I just think like there's an, there's a responsibility to speak up. Like, cool. Like I could write about like I, I don't understand why first of all, seeing it as like this duality where you can't where you, like I can't write about you know, who's playing tonight? The Golden Knights Blackhawks. Like, I can't write about, like, Max Pacioretty and his possession numbers, and I can't write... Then I can't also say why I think it's super fucked up that no one joined Ryan Reeves when they knelt. Like, I don't... Like, why can't you write both? I don't understand it. And if that sounds sanctimonious, I don't give a shit. Like, that's it's, sort of it. It's um, very, like, you're in your lane. Oh, this guy writes about this. This guy writes about this. And, and I don't believe in that. Like, not so again, exactly. It's kind of bullshit. Not, not to believe in false humility here again, but, like, I... I prior to joining Yahoo to cover Angel among other things, like I've heard about the NFL for four and a half years. Like I like soccer. I like to cover basketball when I can. Like so on my 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 own career, I don't like to be tied down to just one sport either. But I think by viewing a lot of different other sports has led me to that perspective as well. You know, mm -hmm. not to like praise other leagues for what I think is also at times performative too. But like, look, here's the thing. If these leagues are saying they're gonna be about it. It can't be like, oh, that's great, great statement, guys. And then like eight weeks later when the sport resumes and you do nothing about it, like, oh, weren't you weren't you talking all that cash shit in June about how you guys were about black lives, how you how you were gonna make a commitment to uh, to being anti racist, to learning about systemic racism, to making tangible action? Like what, are we all supposed to be here and be like, yo, you guys, you're, you and maybe your PR team crafted a nice statement eight weeks ago? Like, no, I'm not. I'm tired of like the, like climbing the lowest possible bar. And like, it's frustrating, man. Like it's frustrating when you have Frank Cerevelli telling decolonized hockey that they're part of the problem, you know? Also, like, yeah, decolonized hockey is one of the best follows. Amazing account, like amazing yeah. account and a great and informative. Like, I think there's a lot of things like, why are people like you don't want like okay guys i gotta say like some of my colleagues sports media i don't have my my phone on me my text on me but like some of the thin messages got like wow you're so brave for saying this like yo i'm not brave this is the situation this is the situation at hand i'm calling what it is like like why do people get into sports media in the first place like i'll admit it when i was in my early 20s i had gotten sports media because i wanted to just talk about sports only but then you grow up you go you get older like it, it can't only just be about like 
I got into sports media because I thought it'd be really cool to have a job where I get to talk about Austin Matthews. Like, no, it has to go beyond that. It has to. Yeah, and it's all tied together now. Like, no one can say that politics is out of sports or it's not related or like that's the worst take and it's been so exposed as false and like you just can't kind of do one without the other and like you shouldn't never have been but that's that was the reality of the past but now it's something that you just have to take and you have to take the context of everything in consideration people are worried about losing their access man let's call what it is like yeah full on like full on and like look access does create a lot of good journalism sense like you need quotes to contextualize i think um certain stories um i think you need i think it creates a more honest media um media viewer relationship if you have you know access you know there are a lot of good things that access creates but if you're using if you have access and you're not doing shit with it then you're you're going to get called out increasingly so uh, especially for those of us who are fighting for access you know yeah to ask these questions among other things like i don't like again i i don't i don't understand why you can't ask like hey you know, how did you guys neutralize Nathan McKinnon and pull him to zero high danger chances? And also, why do you guys support Blue Lives Matter? Like, why can't you ask both questions? Uh, like, it's like, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a frustrating framework to expect so little. And like, I didn't, I, in Colorado, like we've been on the ads a lot, just like talking about on ice, but like Colorado has been one of the worst of like yeah. really performative stuff where it's like, they supported Blue Lives Matter just straight up, like projected a huge flag on the ice, but then also their pride night was like legit just like how do you feel about being an ally it's like not not about their lgbtq fans it's about oh all the, all my fans are all these abs fans are straight and white so it's like oh how do you feel about being an ally like it's just yeah. such like bullshit that is coming from this organization that frankly has a lot of fans in like the queer community and everything and like it's just kind of really upsetting to see that teams could just not get it at all and like we haven't seen like sorry rune i interrupted you no 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 i cut you off sorry go ahead go ahead i was gonna like i was gonna move on but uh like to more like i haven't seen really any like substantial action even from any team i think i saw one i'm trying to look it up but i can't really find it one thing the caps did caps, um, the, caps, the caps have done well they deserve the caps yeah caps did actually like put money behind their actions the caps, um, the caps are working with black girl hockey club in some capacity and i don't know I don't know what, or whether they're just supporting them in some way. Uh, I don't want to be off base here, so I don't have all my facts in a row. But the Capitals are, I think, working in conjunction with Blacker Hockey Club, which I think is a right step to, like, you know, you're giving people who are doing the work a platform to do a good job. It's just like, you know, but like, here's the thing. I think so. I think you should give praise to things that deserve that tangible action behind it. What yeah. I, what I detest is this praising of Tyler Sagan taking a knee. Oh God. Like, yeah. you, you shouldn't be praising white people for doing the right thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know where the praise element comes in. And so, like, like it's so easy, you know, too. Like, even if it's performative in a sense, like, it still would send a message for every player. That's what I'm saying. To you know? do that. Like, imagine if you're Mad Dumba or, you know, and you're in your locker room, you're like, hey, boys, big game tonight. You know, I think it would mean a lot to me if you guys met with me in solidarity, you know, here's why I'm not against the, this is not about the anthem, just for the record, you know, this protest is against, um, you know, the systemic uh, racism that black people will face, you know, the police brutality that's concentrated against black people. And, you know, that, you know, the unfair treatment at, at large by society, you know, you guys are my boys, you guys are my brothers. I think, 
right, it'd be really nice if you knelt with me. All right, let's go beat uh, the Canucks. All right, let's get it, boys. Like, and then for none of them to be like move, like let's say let's say Dumba says something to that effect. How do none of y'all be like, yo, all right, bet, I'll kneel with you? Like, it just, yeah. I don't They like... played the day after his speech in the Oilers Blackhawks game. And, like, nothing, like, he held his fist, and then I think it was Brodeen. I think it was Brodeen that had his, like, hand on his shoulder. Yeah, it just. It's like, like, man, come on. Like, dude, the NHL is asking for, like, not the NHL, but, like, his players, you know, are, I'm sorry, his black players are asking for, like, the bare minimum, you know, and they're not even willing to do that. And then they want praise, like, Okay, the Maple Leafs. Let's let's call let's let's tie it back to the Leafs again. Like yeah. Maple Leafs boil a club, but I've criticized them quite openly for them winning plaudits from uh, from society and hockey media for saying for acknowledging George Floyd in their statement. Like cool, but that same week, Regis Korshinsky Parquet. Um, I have to be careful in the way I phrase this, but you know, community uh, witnesses said that she was killed by the police. So how do you not how do you not acknowledge um, police violence in your own backyard, you know, while you're co-opting this phrase, like, like you know, like, you know, like touche, maybe if you think you might have figured it out by saying George Floyd's name, that is a step in the right direction, but you're not going to win praise if you can't acknowledge, you know, police violence, systemic violence in your own backyard, you yeah. know, murder that happened that same week in High Park, like, no, bro, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing that shit, like, you can't, you can't fool me, and you can't fool a new generation of journalists that are, I would hope, being instructed to speak their minds. Because, like, what are you going to lose? You're going to lose some access. You're going to make some PR people a little uncomfortable. And if given the opportunity, I would hope, you can always explain to PR, hey, look, I have responsibility to cover the team. If you felt I was unfair in doing so, please tell me. Because I don't want to be unfair either. Like, like, you know, fairness doesn't matter. So, I, you know, I may be talking all this crazy shit. People won't be like, oh, what are you saying? No, like, let's call it what it is. Like, if a PR team ever has an issue and feels like my coverage of their team is unfair, by all means, they should feel um, able to email me or even publicly call me out or whomever. That's fine. But all I ask is you have to try. You have to try to hold them count to power. And after hearing all this stuff in the late May and June and seeing people post on Instagram or people saying they're, you know, supporting Black Lives or whatever, show me, like, like, like show us. And also on top of that, man, like, again, it, it cannot be on, certainly cannot be on Black people and to a far lesser extent the rest of us non-black people of color to you know, say it just can't it can't be only our responsibility like and i because you know what happens too is for one i mean it's exhausting and two i don't want to be branded as like oh you're the you're the, you're the anti-racism in hockey guy it's like yeah that's one of the things i cover among several other sports too like but uh, you know i also cover cover this probably because i have a responsibility to do so like it like, this is not, like, I haven't, like, gone off here and be like, no, this is mine. I'm going to try to get mine. Like, yo, like, this is my way to make it in hockey media. What yeah, I, I think, I, I think um, what I liked about the article and what I'm liking about the dialogue right now is that it's encouraging an open dialogue between people to have a better understanding of what that looks like. And, I mean, there's going to, what I'm about to say is going to require, you know, some vulnerability on my end, but, you know, as a, as a straight white man who has never felt racism, who has never, um, you know, begun to felt, to feel what other people who have, you know, gone through these awful things have felt multiple times in their lives. 
I think I go through it wondering, you know, I know that that racism is is bad, and I know that systemic racism exists um, not just in the United States, and and Canada has a, a a pretty dark history and continues to have a dark history on that side of things. But you know, I think I need to understand what it means to be an ally and what that looks like, and how how I can make sure that I'm doing the very best that I can, and you know. I think about it a lot where, you know, it would be really easy for me to come on here and, you know, co-sign everything that both of you guys have said. But quite frankly, I recognize there's more that I can do. And I at times have felt like you want to do more, but you don't know how to do it because I've seen times when people do do, let me rephrase that. I see times where people do what they think is right. You see like what Tyler Sagan did and, and, you know, he felt that he was doing the right thing. And whether you agree that what he did was right or it was performative or, or whatever, I got to know that when I do what I need to do to support and, and, and to be there for friends and family who are people of color, I got to know that I'm also not going to fall into that trap and feel like I'm going about it the wrong way. Does that make sense? To a degree it does, but yo, like, and it's actually not an uncommon thing I've heard, but like, here's, here's the thing. So one of the things I heard when this was happening, like a lot of people were like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I agree with what you're saying. But one of the common takeaways I got from people in sports media largely was like, I don't want to come across as being seen as performative. And I'm just like, who gives a fuck, man? Like, I honestly, like, I like, like, I think there's a culture of the internet. Like maybe I, I don't know, like, that, is, that has changed sort of the discourse. Like there's so much irony poisoning out there. We all get our jokes off. Like that people are so, f- people are fearful of now being performative to the extent where they will do nothing. And it's just like that, that drives me fucking insane. That's worse than what they, yeah. That's worse than doing nothing. Like if you're worried that you might get dunked on for a few cold retweets because you try to do the right thing and do nothing at all, that's worse than like doing something and like being like, you know, the, main character on twitter for 45 minutes like honestly mm-hmm. it, it really is and i just don't have like a lot of patience for that line of thinking i mean i did initially but mm-hmm. now now i have a diminishing uh you know line of patience for for the line of thought like i like i do like it's just like there's an idea there no in terms of your questions like i think you have some like a lot of sincere questions about the allyship and just like you know like how can you be a good ally i think it's just a lot of this like man first of all i want to make it clear i am no expert i i'm not a black person I am not a, I do not want to be the monolith of the person of color experience. I am just a guy who writes about hockey and other sports on the internet at times. Like really. Mm-hmm. But, but what I can say is just like, I don't know. It should just be like, what would you do? Like, you know, like how would you treat your homies? Like, you know, like it's just like simple conversations. I'm taking my cues from like a lot of my friends. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. you see people like, you know, I'm not, a lot of my thoughts are not like original thoughts. I have to say, like maybe I'm doing myself a disservice in saying that, but it's true. It's like a lot of these thoughts are just like, what are my friends telling me? How are they feeling? What can I learn? Mm-hmm. What have I learned in my own experiences as a person of color? What have I learned as someone who takes anti-racism pretty seriously with like leftist politics, like pretty seriously? Like, what do I, how does that incorporate my worldview? What are some things that I'm getting wrong and what am I fucking up? Like, I think another thing too is like, you know, people who are not black, a lot of people of color are getting these questions too, man. Like, how are you guys feeling? What have your experiences been like and whatnot? And I think it's been nice to a degree to have a forum to speak about it. 
On the other hand, I don't think in, like a lot of people, um, a lot of a lot of non-black people of color are considering that. Like, yo, this is not the time to make it into like the general umbrella person of color hour. Like, you know, we have our experiences with racism that we deal with, and it's horrible, and it's hard, and there's a safe space among us, hopefully, to have that discourse and dialogue. But the conflation of it with the systemic racism that is so much worse for black people, like that's a hard thing. And I'll be all, and, and I say that sort of sanctimoniously, admittedly, saying like, oh, there's a lot of people like fucking up and, and making that. Like sometimes, like it is something I have to check myself on every day. And there are times probably in, over this time in which I've made mistakes. There's probably a public record of that where there's too many, where there's a couple of days where I've made it about my experiences as a, as a brown person growing up in Canada, you know, playing single A hockey till I was like 18 or whatever house league or to a certain, you know, single A house league all the time in Canada. Like there are times in which I feel like maybe I have screwed up and taken up mm-hmm. by people, you know? So a lot of it's just like listening, reading, reacting, not really being worried about messing up, honestly, because yeah. like if you are a good hearted person, chances are you're not really messing up that badly. And if you are, the area of your instruction you're going to get back is like, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense, duly noted, like as one would do generally when they learn about things or, you know, or change their political views a little bit or, or what have you. So I think that, I think that's probably a good ally, honestly, just like reading and reacting, like if, you know, what are your friends saying? Like not all black people are necessarily a monolith, but what are your black friends saying? Like, you know, and yeah. like, how are they feeling? And like, that should be like a pretty easy reading and reaction response. If you don't, if you didn't grow up in, Missaga, Ontario, like me, where, you know, you have people from all over the place where mm-hmm. these things come as common sense, then, like, what are, what are, like, black writers saying? You know, like, what are, what are people, you know, what can you, what can you do to educate yourself? It's like, I don't know, like, the, the, the unwillingness to try because of being feared of being called performative on Twitter is just nonsense to me. And I, and I found, yeah, I just found, like, at the very beginning of everything that was going on, I found... I just didn't want to put my own voice under it. If you know what I mean? Like I just didn't want it to make it about me and like what, how I feel like on Twitter. I don't, I think I like didn't tweet for majority of the first week that was like, it was all going on. I was just like retweeting whatever I saw that came across my timelines with like people that actually knew of their experiences, what they were talking about. I didn't want it to be like, Oh yeah, I agree. Quote tweet. I agree with this or like something like, or like, whatever i was just like yeah whatever i didn't want to like make it about myself really and i think that's like i and again i'm talking as a white guy but it's just like it's still like i don't i still don't understand but i'm like trying to and it's not like i know everything but i just found like it's just but yo thomas real quick here man like i don't feel like you necessarily knowing you feel like you gotta beat yourself up because like you've always been conscientious about race issues for as long as I've known you and like your politics lends itself to that worldview. So like, you don't like not all of you guys got to go through this like self-flagellation of like, Oh, I was trying my best when you inherently knew what was up and you were doing good things and you have consistently. Like, I think, I think there's a discourse to be had. There's a wide range of reactions. There are some people, some white people who are pretending as if they've learned about racism for the first time and you've never been, you've never done that. So I think there's a distinction to be made there. Thank you. I think well, I, guess, I, I guess I can say thank you to that. I think <laughs> it's I, for me, it's just been about, you know, to your point, asking questions and really understanding if I'm doing enough. And and I agree with you, Thomas, like, you know, there's, there, there's a part of me that felt like 
whatever I have to say is not nearly as important as what other people have to say. And I think, you know, even hearing you speak about it, Arun, it's, uh, you know, that that's kind of a big learn that I'm having in the moment is as long as the conversation's happening, um, not that that's good enough, but it's, it's a good start. Right. And, and I think that, uh, you know, th this is usually not the type of thing that we talk about, but I know when we were, talking about having you on obviously it was super super important to talk about that article and a lot of the great work that you've done there and um yeah I, I just think that that you have to be willing to you know say when you fucked up that you fucked up or wanting to understand your ignorance or your privilege and 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 I, I think that you know it is a process and you know there's there's going to be times where you make mistakes and, and, you know, it's, it's another learning experience, but it's, it's absolutely worth it because the conversation is so worth having. Precisely, man. I mean, look, I'm going to make some mistakes covering anti-racism hobby. I am like inevitably, you know, there are going to be some times where I'm going to get something wrong, you know, or, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I write a story where it should have been an op-ed or, you know, or it should have been researched better or whatever case may be, but I'm going to do my best, man. Do my best, and I think a lot of people are trying to do the rest out here. I would like to see the power players in hockey media do something. Um, you know, we're all calling for their attention. A lot of them don't give a shit. We're gonna keep going, man. I mean, that's just that's what it is. Like, you know, like so. I think just two things can be true. If there's one thing you said, like again, like I love the Toronto Maple Leafs very much. I have no problems calling them out when their anti-racism efforts are performative. That so no one can call me a biased Leafs guy ever again, you know. <laughs> and but I think I think you know so I think that can be something, you know. You can love things and be critical of them, right? And, and I think if you're being a fan, you don't really initially have any accountability or responsibility to do that. But if you are in media, you absolutely have that responsibility. Mm -hmm. I, I just I think there's a clear distinction there. Like if you're out here just tweeting about stuff, have a blast on Twitter, have fun. In fact, you guys make like the guys who don't want media just out here just tweeting. And girls, absolutely. Actually, the women of hockey Twitter are, are, are the best, are better than the guys for sure. Yeah. They're like, I, it's not about uh, all the, like it ties it in with what everything that's happening, but man, like just seeing media people just carry on, like it's nothing, like, oh, what was it? All the stuff about, I know this is baseball, but all the stuff about Stroman opting out for the rest of the season because of COVID and safety. And people are like, oh, like Jay's won that trade. They only... You only played 11 games to the Mets. I was like, okay, come on. Like, back up in context, you don't have to make everything about on the field or, like, about the Blue Jays or about the team. Like, just make it a context and be, like, good on Stroman for, like, deciding health over, like, the mess that the MLB has created. Like, it's just – and same with hockey where, like, the Rask thing recently. We haven't even talked about it yet. But, like, yeah, Rask got opting out and people are like, oh, I'm worried about the Bruins or, like, oh, how will this make out? Like, he's bailing on the team. Like – Man, you have to have like brain worms to even think about like of how this affects the team first, then be like, oh, good on him for like making the right decision and mm -hmm. being and standing up for like what his family wants or like what he's doing right for his family. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. it's just well, the Mil the Milbury shit was such yeah, we could absolute talk about that I'm, fucking I'm nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. Like, you're getting all red and worked up. I love it. It's the lighting, um, I swear. It's the lighting. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, <laughs> it's also really hot in my apartment right now. There you go. Um, the Milbury shit is like unbelievable, and the 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 notion that you know 
there's a lot of people in the Boston fan base and, you know, uh, having been a coach there and having played there, I know I wouldn't have done it. And I'm thinking like, yo, Mike, you didn't just have a fucking kid in April, my guy. Like, what are you on about right now? Like, it, it makes no sense. And at the end of the day, whether he was in the bubble for two days or two weeks, when it was his decision to go home, you got to give it to him, right? And I, and I loved what Bergeron had said about, you know, you know, they discussed it as a team and, and, you know, he's been his teammate for like 13 years or something crazy like that. And, and, and the support there. Right. Um, and it also, you know, for me, aside from the Rask thing, but topical, you'll see where I'm going in a second is we're still seeing a lot of nonsense in hockey. And I think sometimes people, you know, they say things or they tweet things and go, well, the people I'm talking about aren't black. Or the people I'm tweeting about aren't people of color. So it won't get taken as racist or, or xenophobic. And then we've got Justin Bourne tweeting about Nordic players and, and all this shit. And I'm like, you know, I've, I've met Justin. He's a nice dude. He is a well-spoken. Uh, He's a know, hockey man after all. Right, been, friend, friendly been, guy. But I'm wondering, like, buddy, you have to shake your head on that one because – you know what I'll like, say? I'll say about Born too. In full disclosure, I've worked with Born briefly. Um, I thought he was a nice dude, but just like a spectacular disappointment in that sense. You're a great hockey analyst. You do a lot of good work, and it's just such a spectacular disappointment that you are such a that, that you among someone like that would bridge the gap between the old hockey um, establishment and the younger generation that believes in sort of smarter hockey takes. Born was supposed to be that guy, and this Nordic thing was just nonsense. He wouldn't apologize, but. What do you expect from Clark Gillies in law? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, funny he's, though. He's had it, this history of like, he's had this history of just like tweeting out the most like random things where like, what the hell? Like, what the fuck does he just like about just the, it. uh, yeah, like it's just like, what was it about like having fun fighting or something like fight? Something about, oh man, I have to look this up. There's something about fighting, I swear. No, like, like, <laughs> Like, like, listen, man, like, born again, like, listen, I'm not trying to out here burn bridges, start fights over a podcast or some of the media, but you should get, you should get called out for that, man. That, that, that you know, like, it's just, it's nonsense. And the yeah. fact that he just, like, tweeted, like, like, nothing was happening, kind of just, like, man, it's just, like, it was kind of, it was weird. Like, it was just, like, people were quoting like, crazy. Like, even big up media people were quoting and be like, what the hell? Like, and, like, replying to him, like, oh, man, you might want to delete this, like, delete this, like, uh, and Born, yeah, it's just like, man. Born's so frustrated because, like, he's clearly earned his place in hockey media. Yes. Like, I'll, I'll yeah. say there are a lot, there's some people who haven't. Yes. And the, the quality of work is good enough. But he's still Bob Bourne's son and he's still Clark Gillies in law. Like, he's, he still has an immense amount of hockey privilege built in, entrenched into him. Yeah. And you would think with someone who's as intelligent as Bourne, both in his hockey work and outside of it, would be smart enough to have that that recognition there because there's some guys you know that don't have a chance they're too hockey man tm to ever have that, <laughs> to, to well, that ever but but you would think yeah. one would and he hasn't and it's just man frustrating it's like, weird we, because it's it it feels sorry to interrupt thomas it feels like it's a self-awareness thing where you know having spoken to him before having him having you know heard him speak at puck talks or you know, on, on uh, Hockey Central at noon most recently and, and some of the success that he's had that way. You know, 
I think that most of his analysis is great. And a lot of it is spot on. And I, like I said earlier, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this was a misstep and not a characteristic. We're going to see rear its ugly head, you know, every few years or, or whatever that looks like. But, you know, he seems also like he'd be the first guy to talk about how the Russian factor shouldn't be considered. And it just, to me, it felt like it was almost speaking out of both sides of your mouth when you've, heard him speak before, um, you know, about some of these guys. And, you know, this is obvious, but like William Nylander was born in Calgary. And I expect you to know that because that's a part of this narrative of him not being a, a gritty, you know, top nine forward, like right? Like son, like, come on, bro. Like, yeah. like, like, <laughs> I just, I don't know. It was really disappointing like, though, man. Even, and Like just overthinking like every little detail of that tweet. I know it could cause some problems and just like trying to think of what he was thinking during that. But it's like, it might be just like, oh, I'm trying to think of like, oh, Engvall, Kapanen, Janssen, like we're kind of disappointing. So I'm just going to say, oh, Nordic, just to sum it up. But it's like, that's kind of, you could just say those players and like not make it about where they come from. Like it just... And I think it's, it's such a deal where it's like, all he has to do is be like, delete the tweet or just be like, yo, I fucked up. Yeah. This is not one that actually I think required like a massive apology, but it required some sort of acknowledgement. He refused to even do that, and that is the frustrating part. Yeah, exactly. Just like to acknowledge it, even. Just be like, "Yo, I tweeted something stupid during the game. You know, whatever. Uh, the second information of the least game. Cool. Yeah. All right. Everyone tweets some stupid shit sometimes, but the acknowledging, the lack of acknowledgement. That was a lot to me. I have a lot, yeah. I have tons. And I'm sure, you know, if Justin Bourne's listening to this, feel free to at me, man. I'm just saying. Just hella disappointing. I don't think Justin Bourne's listening to this, but... Uh... But, you know, we'll put, it, we'll put it out there in the world. Yeah, Anyways, there you go, maybe. But, but there should be... You know, yeah. there should We're going to tag him in the, in the it's, tweet. No. no, but you know what? It's not about... It's not about some, like, secret shit-talking or, or something oh, like that. No, and no, I know no, you guys no. aren't saying that it is. I, I recognize that, but... I do think it's important, you know, to, to hold people accountable to what they say. Like, that's how we get better. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. Right. You know, we just had this big, long, you know, conversation and dialogue about making mistakes and fucking up and owning them and getting better and listening to people and soliciting feedback around what you do and, and, you know, how life goes on moving forward. Right. But like, I would want somebody to hold me accountable for something stupid I said. And God knows I've said lots of stupid things on this podcast over the years, but at the same time, you know, there's a humility that's, that's involved and, and an understanding of, you know, people are holding you to a higher regard. I mean, I'm not in sports media, obviously you guys are. And, and I love, you know, the, the lens that you guys bring to this conversation um but but yeah I, I do believe that the accountability is the important part uh and and ultimately how do we expect people to get better if we're not providing that feedback right right there are varying degrees of bad and i think that's the thing like because born should know better like mike Wilbury is a irredeemable dumbass <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. history 100 percent. you know yeah. like 60 like year old eight-year-old mike Wilbury, who played for the bruins for 13 years is not going to um changes his view we can't fix him <laughs> you can't fix him you can hold him accountable and put him on blast and absolutely should be lit up and ray ferraro just lit him up right now so that, that was great oh yeah i um, saw that but gotta love um, it i love ray i love ray ferraro side note you know like credit where credit's due i'm not usually one to big up like 
old media heads, but I think he, I think he's great. I, I agree with him quite a bit. But, yeah. but yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, there's varying degrees. Like Bourne's not nearly as bad as Mike Milbury. Mike Milbury deserves all, all the smoke. At the same time, man, it's, that's what it is. There's like a certain generation that that's not going to change at all. You know, I think it's yeah. different. When like, you call Frank, Frank Valley is four months older than me. Like this guy should know better than that. You know, and I think I think that's it. Like people, our contemporaries, Tom should know better. And those are the guys that like should be able to adaptable and learn. Like Mike Milbury sucks, and he will always suck. And he, we should absolutely roast him. But if like unless he unless his pocket uh, unless his pocket gets affected, nah, he's not gonna be. Well, and you know that 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 type of journalism is not the wrong word, obviously, but that reporting or that analysis, you know, there's some guy sitting in, you know, Westchester, Austin. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a, of a suburb of, uh, of, of, of Boston, but like, you know, they love it. They're eating that shit up. They're like, yeah, Tuca, you let us down, you know, all of that nonsense. And of course, some of these people are not smart enough to realize and I'm not saying that people from Boston are dumb. I've got lots of buddies and, and a lot of love for that. No, city, you are saying that, yeah. No, I'm definitely not. Um, but what I will say is, you know, there are hockey fans that can't understand or maybe just are so stubborn that they won't open their mind up to the fact that, you know, these guys are controlling a narrative when there's really not much there beyond – guy had a kid a few months ago and needs to spend the time with his family and frankly there might be other stuff too but that's none of your business like that shit does not impact you right now right you've got a like a a a really really great goaltender in net and halak um and i mean i wouldn't say that he's better than rask but you've got one of the best tandems if not the best tandem in the league uh have some faith in your guy right and like Anson Carter brought up a good point on the broadcast where it's like, you're, these guys aren't getting played for, paid for the playoffs. Like, it's not like the MLB where like, Oh, if you go home, you opt out your contract, whatever. Like you're seeing all these guys like on minimal deals kind of have to play because they're free agent coming up. Well, there's a contract, but these guys aren't like money's not affecting it at all. Like all it is is if they win the cup and a bonus, but like, it's just, it's more of a personal, like, situation that rask made this decision yeah yeah there it is guys like you know rask i mean hey good on him man i mean good on him honestly like that's for honestly the worst like the worst thing i heard like in my group chat today wasn't even that bad it's just like oh i guess the betting line gets moved a little bit like honestly so i think most people are pretty accepting that like rask made the correct decision uh the timing you know you can be curious about the timing but i mean that's not really Honest, right? Good on him. And, like, and as you guys said, Yaroslav Halak is arguably the best backup goaltender in the NHL, right? It's like not that. Rash was awesome this year. He was. He really was. Mm-hmm. I think it was closer yeah. between him and Hellebuck than it's made out to be. But, um, but yeah, Yaroslav Halak's really good too. So, I love it. Yeah. Well, can we listen. make? Okay, let's. Uh, what? Oh, what? Sorry, I'm the host now. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you always were, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um. How about we wrap it up with like predictions? We're always we did our predictions last week of who's gonna win, and we made a stupid bet. Um, Arun, pick one team who's gonna win it all. Oh man. Okay, fine. I think I think it's gonna be the Golden Knights. Um, I just oh, like. Oh, okay. I like that. I, like that. I also like that. That's uh, spicy. They've looked really, really, really good. Looked, yeah, they have. Really good. Like, like you know, I've 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 been sort of 50-50 on the Avalanche, but again, it's like. 
it's not like not like combustibility. It's not the right word, but there's there, 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 there are there are more scenarios in which I can see the Golden Knights winning than the Avalanche. Put it that way, and uh, like I've been intrigued by like that fourth line a little bit. Like Ryan Reeves is like in like William Carrier and all these guys. Like they're playing pretty well, yeah. but they're, they're their lines for like well their their defense is super underrated. I mean, look, the two goaltender argument would be inflated a little bit. I think I think it's good to have two goalies. Only one of them can play at once. But again, just the quality of them, like Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, like come on, like they yeah. can't go wrong there. Pastoretti's so, back. Pastoretti's back. Still yeah. like the best winger in the NHL. They, yeah, and they, and they, I don't know for the lack of a better word, they just have like a really just good like team identity. Like you know, mm-hmm. they figured out Stone. Yeah, Stone's really good. I, last year, I accidentally said I said on a Yahoo video that I got I got carried away. I was like Mark. St-, like someone asked me, like, who do you think the best player in the NHL is right now at this moment? Like Mark Stone. And, <laughs> People were like, are you out of your fucking mind? I love those days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said on Yahoo Video literally, that I believe in the Buffalo Sabres. So I'm right up there with you. With uh... So it's like, yeah, that might be an over-exaggeration, but Mark Stone is like really, really, really good, especially when he's on. He does everything. Like He's like almost a perfect hockey player. But, oh, um, yeah. Um, yeah. But like Colorado, the Colorado is like, I don't, I don't know who's more fun. I think the most fun team has been the Avalanche, but, but, not, but Vegas is also like super fun too. Like, I don't know, like it's just – it's tough, man. You know, you can flip a coin, but I think I, I think just because there are more outcomes in which I can see the Golden Knights winning, I'm not going to Golden Knights. That's good. All right, I is love there, that. Is there a way that we could see the Converse final? I don't have like the seeding and stuff in front of me. I know that they reseed. Yeah, that'd be a sick. I mean, assuming that they both had, they all advance, it would be Vegas, Colorado. They are one and two, so right. True. Yeah, it it would be good. I mean. It's funny because our other our other co-host Carter is, you know, like been a fan since the beginning. I mean, that's a joke that writes itself. But um, he's like never wavered on this team from the very beginning, uh, even when there were a few times where you know some some things didn't look maybe all that great for them. But that hasn't happened often, right? And they've been. Uh, They've been a hell of a team to watch. I mean, we we talked about it on the last episode. My my love for this uh, Chicago resurgence, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think <laughs> I'm feeling less and less uh, confident that that they're going to be able to upset the Golden Knights because they are absolutely firing on all cylinders, and um, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do because uh, I love this type of stuff, but who they make the captain next year. Cause they said that they're going to have a captain, the first captain in team history next year. Would you, would you guess that it's Mark Stone, Arun? That's really tough. I mean, I guess Stone would be the favorite. I wouldn't rule up Pacioretty. Yeah. yeah. Just cause he's worn to see before. He's been a captain. Yeah. Not that that's altogether mattered. I mean, considering that it led to such a stupid dissolution of the team and they traded PK Subban. But um, uh, yeah, I, I would think it's between Stone and Pacioretty. Uh, okay, be, here's or Ryan here, Reeves. Nope, not Ryan Reeves. Maybe <laughs> someone like he, maybe it'll be some random like third line dude. No, here's here's like my a, pitch. With the team from the beginning, where's an A now? William Carlson has played out of his mind <laughs> in the playoffs. Celebrated his fiftieth playoff game. Riley Smith, captain of your Vegas <laughs> Golden Knights. Okay. Okay. I'm not joking, man. Uh, sure. I, like, I know you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Like, I mean, he's probably not as popular of as shiny a pick as 
Pacioretty or Stone, and obviously those guys are locked up, a, you know, quite a bit longer in terms of, you know, their term and their contract. But um, I don't know, man. I I, I feel it in in uh, in my heart that 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 could be a potential captain of of the team. Yeah, you know, I I would I wouldn't say it's like initially a bad argument. Like I would I would have him as a as just maybe third favorite. Like I don't think it's be like Jonathan much so or like William Carlson, but. Um, but yeah, Riley Smith's not initially a bad idea. Like, I don't know if there's much of a case for like Shea Theodore either. I don't know. Like, just, yeah, I was like Nate, Sh- Nate Schmidt crossed my mind. I'm like, yeah, no, they're not going to make Nate Schmidt the first captain in franchise history. I think that just like, I mean, no offense, to Nate Schmidt, he's a good player for sure. But I mean, so yeah. it'll uh, be. Yeah, yeah I, I honestly, I get the sense it's going to be Patrick I don't know why, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll Patrick or Stone seems to to make the most sense. I guess that way. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, listen, we've taken up a lot of your time and we appreciate you, you know, spending your Saturday night with us. What do you got? Uh, what do you got planned at Yahoo in the next little while? What can we look forward to reading about? Um, man, I mean, just like, I guess, daily coverage. We've got the Angel Live blog going on right now. Um, any pieces on the horizon? I can't necessarily say, but working on some cool things. Uh, I know that's sort of ominous, but uh, we'll see how it goes, man. More, just more daily Angel coverage covering hockey during a global pandemic has been uh, fun and not to use the everyone's favorite word unprecedented, but it truly has been. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, man, just, just more daily coverage, enjoying, enjoying the playoffs and uh, gearing up for a Maple Leafs less playoffs because it's been hella fun without them. So. And a long Raptors run. And a long Raptors run, man. Let's yeah. go Raptors. Man, Watch yeah. Raptors group chat. Best video series I've seen in a while. Man, I love Raptors group chat, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, Leafs group chat would be like the opposite energy. It'd just be like everyone turning on the team. Just like, uh, <laughs> It'd just be like, yeah, just everyone yelling about like some stupid predictions and being miserable. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Before we let you go, um, I already know the answer to this, but we weren't recording when we talked about it before. Can you confirm that Thomas has ever gone by the nickname T-Dog? Uh, he has, although I don't think willingly. Uh, uh, I don't know. He 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 has been given the nickname T Dog and has been called T Dog before. Uh, whether he's whether he's called himself T Dog, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't recall. You know, but um, you know, to make Thomas as comfortable, uncomfortable as possible, happy to call him T Dog from here on out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, I'm just so happy to hear that. Yeah, that's 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 important. I think it was I Dan. That. I think it was Dan Tome that literally like said, we have to have a nickname for you. And then, yeah, and that just happened. I mean, yo, if you were a machine on the blogs, man, I mean, you know, I think, I think it was the same as the term of endearment for sure. Uh, yeah. I just put my head down and wrote about whatever. We miss you, man. We miss you. <laughs> You're missing the team, but it's all. Oh, man. But yeah. we, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's fun, man. Working, working at Yahoo was a blast. I love it there. You know, it's good. Yeah. Happy to hear it. Well, like I said, thanks for coming on. Where can people uh, check you out on the internet? You can find me at Rune Things on Twitter. Um, you can, that's pretty much it. I write at Yahoo Sports and Yahoo Sports NHL. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's the Arun Trinavasan, where I am probably out eating pizza with the homies uh, <laughs> or just doing a bunch of banal stuff or maybe posting Sopranos gifts. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, that's about it for I don't know where else to plug my content I love the the soprano gifts I think that's great Thomas are you still watching it or are you no, I gave now? I gave up <laughs> I I can't like I don't you know you would 
You would. Well, the playoffs started. I can't. I was like season one, episode seven. And then it was like, and then I was right. You didn't even get through the first season? Oh, man, buddy. Ugh. We've talked about a lot of bad takes tonight, but that's the stinkiest for sure. I, okay. Yeah, that's the worst one for sure. Be, yeah. I can only watch it by myself because Emily didn't want to watch it. And then, yeah. And then, yeah. All right. Well. What can I do? What can I do? You love we will, one. Talking and Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. We're going to continue calling you T-Dog until you at least finish the first season. Then we'll back up a little bit. But until then, T-Dog... It's been a pleasure. Have a good night. And uh, Arun, thanks for coming on. For our friends uh, who are longtime listeners, or maybe this is your first time, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Takeoff Hosers. You can follow Thomas at No Salary Retained without the E. Follow me at Killer Puck. And you can follow Carter at Carter Lupel. Uh, and yeah, if you get a chance, rate and review the podcast. Um, a lot of the reviews that we have make me laugh. They're usually uh, inside jokes. I'd love to see some reviews that talk about the power of T-Dog. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, boys. What you know about?